Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of Speech Bubble on Never Sleeps Network. I just want to let you know that our sponsor, Harry Tarantula, is looking for people who do comics in Canada for signings, events, and Q&As. So if you do a comic, they want to hear from you. They're located at 6979 Young Street, and you can give them a call at 647-430-1263. We're looking for people like our past guests, Ramon Perez, Marcus Toe, Kelman Andrasovsky, Ricky Lima, Megan Carter, Hope Nicholson. If you do a comic, they want you. Email them at us at harryt.com or call them again at 647-430-1263 and ask for Leon or Jeremy and tell them Aaron sent you. You're listening to Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries. Here's your host, Aaron Broverman. Godspeed, old chum. Hello, fanboys and fangirls. Welcome to another episode of Speech Bubble. I am your host, Aaron Broverman, and with me today is Danny Zabal. Danny is the writer artist between Life for uh, Life, Death, and Sorcery. It's edited by past Speech Bubble guest Allison O'Toole. And it's with Chapter House Comics. We've had a lot of Chapter House people in. We've had Allison in. We've had Kalman Andrashovsky. So welcome, Danny. Oh, thanks for having me. It's it's great to have you. I just got caught up on your book, and I, I was really impressed. I think, like, Bleeding Call, Cool called it, like, the best book that they'd seen in years or something. Yeah, that quote. Uh, Chapter House uses that quote all the time. Legitimately one of the best books of the year, I think, is the quote. And yeah. I only know it. I actually didn't know about that quote until chapter house found it and they were like hey this is what they said and i was like what so i yeah so that's that's it and because it shows up all over the place it's now like burned into my mind that's awesome so before we get into the sort of the nitty-gritty of of life death and sorcery i want to know a little bit about you uh did you grow up in toronto I did. I uh, I grew up in the uh, in the beautiful city of Toronto. Yeah, I guess I grew up in North Toronto. Like my mom sort of lived at St. Clair and Oakwood, and my dad was sort of at like Mount Pleasant, Davisville. I spent most of my time in that zone. I went to uh, Northern as a high school, uh, and then afterwards I left Toronto. A little bit after I finished high school and lived in Montreal for a little while. What brought you there? I just wanted to get away, you know? I just wanted to leave. I wanted to sort of go on an adventure, and I I got into a school there. I got into a school. It was totally random. I mean, I just, like, applied to schools willy-nilly. I took this. I took a break after, after high school and just kind of worked these, like, Joe jobs. I got into a film school uh, at Concordia, which was pretty cool. I've never really made a movie. (laughs) They just let me in. I don't know why. And then I went there and I studied cinema and that was really, really fun. Got to make some fun movies and made great friends. And I lived in Montreal for a little while and sort of, that's sort of when my professional career kind of got, you know, started moving, started going. Did you, did you pick up any French? Uh, yeah, well, I already know how to speak a little bit of French. Yeah, French was uh, spoken in my household when I was a kid. It's really broken and very terrible. When I was in Montreal, I kind of like my French improved a little bit, but only like 
can I talk to my landlord grade French? Not necessarily, you know, anything more sophisticated than that. So you could order off like a menu. I could order off a menu. I could tell my landlord that like he needed to fix my toilet. I could do all the like basic sort of exchanges with like a thick English accent and like just forgetting words every once in a while. Anytime I worked somewhere in Montreal, they would just talk to me in French and I would just reply in English, like Chewbacca from Star Wars, you know what I mean? <laughs> it was, uh, you know, it was okay. I mean, generally, I think being perceived as a Wookiee by your peers is probably a positive thing. That's what they heard every time. You said that your your career started taking off when you were in Montreal. I mean, you got into film school. Apparently, they just let you in. <laughs> there was no application process whatsoever. <laughs> That's right. But, um, That's right. <laughs> but how did... How did your career start taking off in Montreal? Well, what happened? It's not really it's not really taking off so much as it just sort of got started. You know, I was pretty listless when I was um when I was finished high school. I really was. I mean, I was just like a pretty useless guy to be honest with you. I just kind of was bumbling around. I mean, I did like a victory lap in high school. I had like lousy grades and my friends had gone away. I was like, when I mean Joe jobs, like I was working at like pet shops and like I was cooking rotisserie chickens. I was working in like video stores. Like it was just nothing. Like So a, victory lap being like you were a super senior? Like, yeah, 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 I did. Yeah. Okay, yeah. okay cool. <laughs> yeah. So I, I had to come back because I had a bit too much fun in my last year of high school. So I had to come back for another another tour (laughs) i mean was it embarrassing i guess maybe it was a little bit embarrassing i i I think i felt really embarrassed at the time now that i when i look back on it i don't really have any emotions about it but back then it kind of you know helped me cultivate more of a chip on my shoulder and then sort of when i was done there i like i said i bumbled around and then um sort of you know a few things happened like a few incidents happened and i kind of sort of got a reality check and i was like oh Geez, I need to like actually, you know, like do something. Like, like why to... you couldn't afford your shit? Was that no? The deal? It wasn't really about money. Uh, um, okay, I, you know, I didn't mind like sort of living like aesthetically, which is paycheck to paycheck. That actually didn't bother me that much. Uh, the jobs bothered me because I found them, you know, very, uh, very frustrating. I worked in like a wine shop for a while. And that, if you can imagine, was just like the most mind numbing like <laughs> experience ever. It was so bad. It was terrible. Everybody's a wine expert when they walk into a wine shop. It doesn't matter if you're selling like $10 wine or, uh, you know, $100 bottles of wine. It doesn't matter. Everybody comes in. You know, some dad on a Saturday with, like, short shorts and, like, a stupid, like, marathon t-shirt, you know, like, walk through the door and he'll be like, oh, I'd like to try the red. Oh, it's too dry. I'm not really interested. And then you're like, oh, God, I got to sit through this again. Sir, all these wines suck. That's, they're all bad. You can, you could drink any one of these and have the same experience. It's designed to just get you drunk. That's it. Or to mix with your, you know, whatever French cooking or whatever. Uh, yeah, it was terrible. So, um, so I was just really frustrated by that. And then sort of, I don't know, you know, like one night it was, uh, it was a really bad night. I was, um, sort of getting off the bus with my girlfriend at the time. And, uh, these guys, uh, they said something that wasn't nice to her. And so I... <laughs> I leapt in to defend her honor. So people at home, uh, Aaron 
can see the kind of man that I am, which is just kind of like a noodly guy with like, you know, big thick glasses and, you know, this nasally voice. It kind of looks like a turtle, sort of. Yeah, thanks. I look like a turtle. Thank you. I look like a turtle. That's a very apt description. Uh, Like a nerdy turtle. Not a ninja fighting turtle, but like a dorky turtle. And I was immediately, I decided to engage in a kind of aggressive alpha male situation with about five men all so very drunk like super drunk and like not they just like they saw me up and down and they were like yeah this guy we're gonna ruin this guy's life (laughs) so uh they surrounded me and started like pushing me around and things got really aggressive and one guy like smacked me on the back of the head with a beer bottle and i was like i thought i was gonna die like i thought i thought that was gonna be like the last day i was gonna be alive holy shit and uh the only thing i think that ended up by like saving my life was that he hit me with the bottle and i was like i sort of absorbed the blow but i think because i was too stunned to like really do anything else and i was like okay guys i think we've all had uh, our fair share of fun i think it's it's over now and uh and then they just got bored and then they left you know what i mean and so i you was, didn't go down you just got hit by the ball i, I didn't go down i like i like dropped like i i was like ah, <laughs> uh, uh. and uh but i mean they were like they were roughing me around and they got a few good punches in wow. there like i took i took a, i took a few shots and it was really terrible and um you know, I went home that night and I was like totally traumatized. What did your girlfriend? She must have been. She was. Out. She was freaking out, man. It was like it was terrible. We didn't know what to do, and like, what are we supposed to do? Like, call the police and say like five drunk guys got really rowdy. Like they, they, like nothing, nothing would have come of it. I mean, she was at the time. I remember she was like extremely supportive and very nice. But I mean. It wasn't so much about a bruised, uh, like, male ego as much as if it was about the actual bruises on my body and the fact that I was terrified that I would have perished right there and I would have kind of had nothing to show for it. You know what I mean? Like, I would have had, like, a lot of good times, a lot of, like, embarrassing pictures and, you know, a few, like, bad habits. And it was just, like, it was terrible. So then all of a sudden this, like, drumbeat started to, like, go off in my head, like, do something something go out there do something and going to school isn't like a big deal to a lot of people like getting a higher education but when you're kind of a misfit and you don't really like i I wasn't good you know i didn't do well in school you know i did like okay in some classes like i did pretty well in art class and in computer class and stuff like that it was a big trial so i really like tried my best and like really really just put myself out there and like went through the entire process of trying to get an application together, get the money together, get my life together to go to school. And for me, that was like my first sort of big like triumph. I got that big thick envelope in the mail. It was like 22. I opened it up and I was like, I got in to a film school. How do you make a movie? I don't know. I guess I'm going to find out. (laughs) And then the rest was just sort of, you know, I moved to Montreal and I got um, that chance that you get whenever you move anywhere new, which, which is you can sort of reinvent yourself. You don't have the same sort of like hangups. You don't have the same. It's, not, it's literally a completely different landscape. In my case, you know, I didn't really like speak the like proper spoken language. Like there's a lot of English speakers in Montreal. Like there's a big Anglo community, but like, you know, I don't know how to explain you're it. You're like an outsider. Yeah, you're of? an outsider. That's basically it. 
it was kind of great though. Like I really felt like revived and, you know, I can honestly say that like that experience in my life, like sort of fostered, um, sort of, um, confidence, which, um, you know, I, I didn't have before, you know, before I, I, I kind of, you know, I really hated myself. I mean, I still heavily dislike myself, but in a completely different way. Back then, like, I really hated myself. But now I just, like, look in the mirror and I'm like, what do you do? What is this? What is this face that's staring back at you? Oh, my God. You know, like, I gotta, then there's nothing I can do about it. It's just my face. So, yeah. So that was sort of the beginning. And then, like, a couple of, like, really sort of positive people in my life just sort of said, hey, you know, you're pretty good at drawing. You should do this or pursue that. And one night I just saw this, like thing show up on a message board it's like hey do you know how to do pixel art studio needs a pixel artist and i just like i applied for the job i literally just like found some old pixel art i did attached it to an email sent it out and was like hey i know how to do pixel art yeah and then i just went to the interview and scored the gig and it was like sort of my first big sort of thing that i did that's awesome did something you know and it's in a like creative field and- yeah oh yeah it was yeah. a big like for me it was a big like sort of personal success, you know, like I was actually like doing something that seemed relatively kind of like within the scope of a dream come true, you know? Right. It was a big deal. I mean, of course, during that whole time in the background, there was always comics, like still actively reading comics, making little comics in my sketchbook in my spare time, going to shows. Um, I, you know, freelanced a little bit. Like I, I did some lettering for Drawn and Quarterly and stuff like that. And there was always... Like, that was always there constantly, but, you know, it was yeah, more... Yeah, John and Corley is, like, the big independent publisher in Montreal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, this would probably be a decade ago now. They, you know, used to call me up every once in a while to letter various things or, you know, like, um, clean up art from, like, old comic strips and stuff, like restoration. And because I was sort of relatively fast and handy with Photoshop, I would just go in and zing, 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 and then walk out, give me some, you know, they they pay me and they give me, like, a stack of free books, which is, like awesome it was so good i was like what were you what were you reading at the time at that time at that time i think i was going through like my daniel klaus period where i was just like all these like sort of comics about you know sweaty kind of like (laughs) you know desperate misfits you know what i mean (sighs) that's the only sound effect i can think to describe that it's kind of funny because when i was reading uh life death and sorcery i got a kind of ghost world vibe from like the from like the oh, main yeah. character a oh, little yeah, bit man. yeah that that book like really opened up my eyes like um i i can pretty much safely say that that was the first comic that was like the first comic i read that was not about ridiculous things like it was it was funny obviously but it was about sort of actual people and that was the one that sort of opened my eyes to things like, you know, like uh, creators like like Harvey P. Carr. And then I, I watched Comic Confidential, which was like the, you know, gives you a nice spread, like a good base. Yeah, Ron you know. Man. Yeah, like I know, that, right? Like, it's he's just like, Canadian. And... I know, he's a treasure. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and that, that documentary is brilliant and it's so like watchable. I mean, my favorite parts are the Harvey P. Carr parts, you know, it's just, he he's he, amazing. Like I have so like uh, a whole stack of American Splendors that I just, I fond over especially back then and it was the it was my introduction into comics that were sort of character driven as opposed to like sort of driven by circumstance and driven by sort of plot devices which are great too like mm-hmm. i love that stuff i'm a giant dork i love 
you know, laser beams and spaceships and, of course, I love Superpowers. magic. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, That stuff is, like, very, very sort of, you know, it's in my heart. You know, when I saw that, I was like, oh, man, you know, like, wouldn't it be cool if there was a comic that had, like, both of these things? Like, it had the fantastical, but it also just had those, like deep sort of earnest moments of like emotion like yeah maybe a bit of the angst but also a bit of the sort of realness you know Mm -hmm. that was the kernel i mean it really it really happened during that period too when i was in montreal i kind of i always sort of had an idea of like this big fantastical story that i wanted deep in the back of my mind that it would just sort of doodle in the margins of sketchbooks but then i just sort of actually started building it which is i mean you know, as an individual who, who writes himself, I mean, you can, I'm sure you can appreciate just the, like the struggle of writing and constructing and building, but, and trying to, you know, it was just, it took me the better part of a decade to just make it to a point where I felt comfortable to start, you know? Right. And my nature is, like, very meticulous. Like, I don't like to just, like, dive right in. I like to have all my, like, things lined up, you know, mm-hmm. because I, I'm, you know, obsessive that way. Mm-hmm. Like, it's got to – everything's got to be, like, perfect. It, you know, certain people in my life, it drives them crazy. You know what I mean? Like, right. I collect video games and I they need to have the box and the manual or else – you're not gonna buy them yeah no i'll stay up at night i'll think about it i'll I'll, i will actually think about it for very long hours you know not that it would ever like dull my enjoyment of actually like sitting there and like playing a game (laughs) from 1986 or whatever but like i'll just sit there and go like i need i need the box and i need the manual for darkwing duck for (laughs) nintendo i just need it i need it i have to have it i have to you know and then, uh, you know, my wife will be like, why do you have to have it? Then I explain it's not logical at all. Right, right, <laughs> right. So this sort of developed when you're in, in in Montreal and everything. How did you come back to Toronto? Oh, my God. What a story. Okay. You're in for it now, man. Okay. I'm going to you. Roll, roll up your sleeves. Yeah. Uh, so I came back to Toronto for... <laughs> I came back to Toronto for a girl. <laughs> Uh, I came back to Toronto for a girl. I was so happy in Montreal. I was so happy. Were you still working at the mobile games place? Uh, No, in Montreal, I was working for... No, I was working for a mobile... I was working for a whole other um, software company. They were making mobile games, but the... I had left the first company that I worked at. The first company that I worked at made Game Boy Advance and uh, Nintendo DS games. And then I switched to another company that made, like, mobile game. Like, the iPhone hadn't come out, so it was, like, these flip-top Razer games and stuff like that. Like Crazy. Yeah, that kind of stuff. So I did a little bit of that and made, like, wallpapers and knickknacks and just, like, stuff you pay, like, 10 cents for on these things. Uh, it was actually a decent place to work. I had a really great time. I met two of my closest friends there, actually. Um, at any rate, uh, so I was working there, and everything was fine. And um, I'd been seeing this girl while I was in school and sort of afterwards. And uh, she went backpacking across India. <laughs> now, when I tell this story, it seems ridiculous. No, no, no. She went backpacking across India 
And so we downsized, I downsized my life. I moved into this like tiny apartment and sort of at like Clark and Bobian and in Montreal. And uh, it was really great. I loved it. I was, I paid nothing for the place. The landlord loved me. He was this great guy. I had like everything. I was there with my cat and like life was good. I could live off of, off of like freelance and have a day job. And it was just like, Allongés in the morning and croissants and like getting day drunk and going to work. It was just like, it was perfect. It was just like, it was just perfect. So she comes back, she returns and I've had this year, I've had this incredible year where I'm just having, I'm actually having a great time. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, drinking a lot, but I'm having a great time. Okay. okay. So, um, So I come back and so she comes back rather and she's like, I'm moving back to Toronto are you with me? Do you believe in true love? And so I have to like put this into context. Like we've been having this like weird sort of Skype chapter of our relationship. How long and, have you been dating before? Like throughout this entire period? A couple year, years? A year and a half. Oh, a year and a half. Like a year and a half, maybe two years, something like that. Maybe two and a half and years. And in the middle of that, she goes to India. Yeah. And the whole, the source of contention was that I didn't go with her because I was like, I don't want to pick up stakes and go to India. I'm not ready for that. And I wasn't. I mean, I, I like to travel now, but back then it wasn't really, I just couldn't, I couldn't muster up the, the, you know, the uh, courage for an adventure like that. Right. And so, um, you know, she came back and she's like, okay, are we going to do this? And I was like, hmm, do I believe in true love? Do I love this person? Do I actually like love this person? Will I uproot my life? All of my friends were like, don't do it, man. <laughs> don't do it. You don't, you clearly don't want to do it. I would go and hang out with them and they would, they would say stuff like, you know, hey man, how's it, how's it going? You still moving to Toronto? And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, moving to Toronto. And they're like, yeah, that's a mistake. You shouldn't do that. Don't do that because you will regret it. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, no, I'm going to do it because I, I love her. Love is complicated. Um, so, um, I moved, so I moved back. She finds this place. I moved back. I have no contacts in Toronto anymore. I have no like professional inns anywhere. Nowhere. I like literally go from just sort of like relative prosperity. And living the life. Yeah, and living life to just kind of like what the hell am I doing? Like, I'm just like at home all the time, like applying for jobs. And I was like working on this web comic and I was just like so confused. And it was like, it was just one of these things where I was like becoming listless and like depressed and angry. And it was really terrible. And then like about, I don't know, two months into this, she takes me to go see your good man, Charlie Brown, which is my favorite musical. Oh, okay. Uh, It's, uh, I love it. I actually really love it. I I remember seeing it in high school uh like they put it on in my high school and oh. i remember seeing it and like actually feeling like very emotional by it i'm at, i'm i'm still friends with one or two people who are in that production of it and i don't think i've ever told them that but anyway if wow. they listen to this awesome. i love the songs and i love the idea of charlie brown it's great it's i just like that musical a lot anyway she took me to this musical i'm like weeping at the end of it i'm like you are a good man charlie brown keep trying and uh and then she's like so we're not really happy are we and i was like oh shit this is this is happening and so uh she just 
she just breaks it off right there after the musical yeah after the musical so i'm like crying anyway so then the, and the car- musical's like paralleling your life yeah totally it. right i'm just like i'm just like crushed and i'm like i'm sitting there and i feel i feel like charlie brown and there's just like rejection and i don't know what to do that's a weird plan yeah. i'm gonna take him to this musical that i'm gonna and i'm gonna break up with him i don't know what i don't a know weird weird thing it was crazy right um right. so um I mean, look, you know, Aaron, I'm going to be honest with you. Like, I was no angel during right. during the time that we were together. Like, I got up to no good in all kinds of different ways. You know, I probably deserved a m- musical breakup. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, but it was it was crushing. So, um, we don't, like, we don't have a plan after this. I'm like, so what do I do? And she's like, well, I guess, like... You can live here for a little while until you sort of figure things out. So I like moved into the living room of this place that we were sharing and she was like, okay, like you can live here, but like, don't bring strange women home. So then, um, I don't like, I don't know like anybody in the city, right? Like I just like, I have no contact points. So like, at what, what point of time is this? Like what like, year are we talking like about? It's November, 2008. So like Obama just won. <laughs> okay. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's like hope triumphed. <laughs> and I'm like, life. yeah. <laughs> and like, and it's also the same time that the economy is bottoming out. And like, I just like, I don't know. Everything's falling apart, but I guess it's great. You know, like I don't, I have no clue what's happening. So then my, um, former stepsister gets in touch with me. So this is the daughter of the woman who used to go out with my dad in like the early nineties. She's like, Hey, I hear you're back in town. I'm having a birthday. Why don't you come out? It'll be fun. You know, I'll be honest with you. I think she just wanted to fatten up the numbers. You know what I mean? I think she just wanted like a (laughs) surefire, you know, wallflower to just show up there with like a decent bottle of booze to just go like, Hey, how's it going? Make a few wisecracks and leave. So then, you know, I show up at the party. I go in there. I walk in. I'm, I'm like super early. We catch up. It's fine. And then boom, it fills up because it turns out that my former stepsister is like the most popular woman in town. She knows everybody. The whole place is just filled wall to wall. She had this brilliant loft. It was like, it was just great. And it was one of those wow, sad moments. Who is this person? Uh, her name is Sonia. Can I say her name? Is I, I that don't know if you can say her name. I, I was just going for like, what does she do? That would oh, make what her like she the do? most popular person in Toronto. I don't You know what? I have no idea. I have no clue. Okay, okay. I have no <laughs> clue. Even Sonia. at that time, like, I'm sure she does something different now, but I have no clue. Like, all I know is that she had, like, hundreds of friends, and they showed up for her birthday. And uh, I was just sitting there going, like, well, I'm definitely doing a few <laughs> things wrong in my life. Like, these <laughs> these people are definitely going to go to her funeral if when she dies. You know, like, me, I can't, I can't say that. I was just, like, looking around the room and just feeling sad. And then I kind of turned over and I saw, you know, this woman standing at the end of the bar and she was like, yes, this place had a bar in it, by the way. Uh, She's standing at the end of the bar and she kind of looks at me. She kind of tilts her head to the side. And then I kind of tilt my head to the side and I think, oh, maybe do I know her from somewhere? So we kind of kept, we sort of amble up to each other and like, hey, do I know you? Maybe I do from Montreal. We kind of, turns out we know all the same people and we have a lot of similar friends. But we didn't actually, we never met. So, like, we lived in Montreal at the exact same time. Okay. We knew all the same people. We went to a lot of the same parties. And you knew that you knew the same people. Yeah. uh, But we never met each other. So, I must have just seen her around town. Okay. And so, we connected at this um, party 
Turns out that she was going through some rough relationship stuff too. I discovered this because I started asking her out on a, on dates. Right. My date game was not great. I I I uh, George Costanza did. Are you a Seinfeld fan? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Do you remember that one that episode where he's like, "I'm going to do the opposite of every one of my in- instincts. <laughs> if all my instincts up until this point have gotten me into trouble, I'm going to do the opposite." So I basically <laughs> yeah. did that. I was like, "Hey, how's it going? I'm an unemployed bald uh, artist, so I'm not a sure bet. I still live with my ex girlfriend, and I'm really, really broke. Like, I'm so broke, and I might be leaving." town to move back to montreal and she was like i'm intrigued it works (laughs) um so then uh something happened and like we hit it off i lived with my dad briefly in california kind of while my getting my sort of act together then i came back to toronto and uh then we sort of like got together and then we moved in with each other and then we got married and then like my life started to straighten out that's crazy so this whole time is Life, death, and sorcery in the back of your head? Yeah. And yeah, it being is. developed? Or, or yeah. is it just an idea at this well, point? Well, Rebecca, my wife, was like the kind of the person who kind of tipped it over the edge. The problem with life, death, and sorcery was I always had this world and I had this premise and I had a few characters, but I never had like a protagonist. Like I never had a person like a main character that I just believed in that I could throw my weight behind. It's like every month the main character would change, you know, I I just couldn't decide on anything. And then I met her and like, I know this is corny, but she like, she, you know, she made my muse, you know, like she, I saw the way she was and like, you know, she told me how she grew up and like her attitude and like the way she is. And like, Rebecca's just this, like, she's, like, beautiful and brilliant and, like, brave and adventurous and, like, all these things. All these things which, quite frankly, like, I wasn't at all and probably still am not. Like, she's the one who pulled me, you know, out of out of myself and said, no, you got to travel the world. You got to do all this stuff. I just, at first, I just wanted to make her happy because I've, like, never been with a woman this beautiful before. Right, and you think, like, you don't have a lot of uh, stuff to bring into the relationship that's <laughs> worth dating, right? Yeah, totally, right? Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, you get, you get it, right? Like, it's like, you're like, okay, all I've got is the fact that I can, like, just go along, like, go with the flow. Yeah, you like, know how I mean? am I even in this? Like, why are you even dating me? How <laughs> yeah, you're not gone already. <laughs> I know, right? Thing. Oh, my God. It was, like, it was, like, every day. And, you know, it was, it was crazy. It's, like, after... After a while, like I can't tell you when, but like I stopped that fear just kind of went away and then it kind of turned into this like love. And I, I sort of told her kind of casually one day and I was like, I'm going to draw a comic book for you. And she was like, she was like, yeah, okay, cool, whatever. And so I was like, no, this is it. I'm starting this. And then I just started it and I designed the character like based off of my wife, Rebecca, like it's a, it's a caricature of her. Oh. And, um, the two sisters are based sort of loosely on her younger sisters. So it's really just like life, death and sorcery at the end of it started off as like a story for me to like liberate myself. But really what it's become is it's become a story for my wife, you know, like I'm writing it for her. I'm putting things in there that I think she'd like, you know, like I'm trying to make it, you know, nice. For wow. Her. Is she, is she into like, uh, that kind of thing? Like, she like, isn't. Okay. She, what she's into, what she likes about life, death and sorcery. And she, it's really great to show her work in progress sometimes because she gives these like really funny blunt notes. Like, I mean, 
she she has a like a degree in biology and then she has another degree in law. She is in the world of pragmatic logic. She is the most practical, logical, intelligent person I've ever met. Yeah, while you were partying, she was getting her life together. Like, yeah, seriously. seriously. <laughs> she like when she reads it, she like she just like zeroes in on stuff. You know what I mean? She's like, This is great, this is cute, this is funny. Uh, I don't like this part. This is dumb. I don't understand what this guy's saying. What's this guy doing? What's that guy doing? I don't like this. What's going on? Oh, this is cool. This is funny. You know, so like she never gravitates towards like sort of that sort of stuff. But like I know kind of from her childhood, like the sort of things that she grew up watching, like she likes, you know, the Muppets and Wizard of Oz and Buffy the Vampire Slayer and all this stuff. And so I kind of try to conjure some of those themes, emotions and narrative tropes and weave it in there to sort of make it like I'm basically trying to make her love fantasy. You know what I mean? That's awesome. I mean, I think she's enjoying it. Yeah. And it (laughs) it seems like there's a little bit of a geek thread for her, like, you know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer and the sort of things that she's into. So yeah. Yeah. Well, her whole thing is that she really likes it when it's done well. She will not suffer fools gladly. Like her threshold is like, is like just razor thin. If she doesn't like something like she just, she doesn't like it. It's bad, you know, like it's really fun going to see like Marvel movies with her because she will just like cut it down to size the moment she walks out. Like she, if she's into it, she's into it. If she's not, she's not. It is great. Wow. Crazy. Like my girlfriend, like she won't, she won't go to Marvel movies. She'll go to them like a little bit, but only if like it's x-men because hugh jackman oh yeah yeah so she, really, jackman. so she really liked logan but but in terms of like the marvel thing she's like it's just corny like the whole costumes and shields and connected universe thing is just not i love the thing that she that's my favorite exactly, thing about it exactly you know? i love i love the connected universe that's why i loved uh captain america civil war like you know oh yeah seeing all of that that you've been experiencing for what is it like seven years yeah come to like yeah. fruition and it's all all those story beats that they'd been building suddenly yeah. you know get into like the best comic book ish movie of all time in terms of in terms of like the you, yeah. battle in terms of like oh, seeing all those uh superheroes that you've seen through your childhood like fight each other like that was amazing and have it make sense on a deeper level because of the seven years of building all these plots and stuff I mean, it's amazing. Yeah, I I totally agree with you. I couldn't say it better myself. I mean, that was, to me, that whole movie was just this, like, sort of great buildup for this, like, like zany, like, experiment in, like, whatever, whatever the Marvel movies are. Like, I mean, I guess it's, I guess it's corporate merchandising. I guess it's cartoon characters. I guess it's comic books i guess it's action movies like it's all these different things combined i think it is but i think they started out with like the most earnest of intention i think so as well i think so too (laughs) i think it was really it was like uh, avengers was the turning point avengers is when we kind of knew that this was magic right like up until that point it was all kind of hearsay like we don't you remember like before avengers came out we were all like we're like yeah the avengers movie is coming out sure whatever iron man really they're starting with iron man oh my god because it was because it was like well they they sold off all the rights to all the good characters (laughs) so i guess this could work Mm. and it was very it was a very like indie feel for Mm -hmm. like a corporate studio in the beginning yeah i would say so but it's like it's turned into something pretty amazing i mean i'm gonna be with it 
I mean, you know, obviously I'm going to be with it forever. I mean, I have a whole, like several boxes of comics in my closet that basically have sealed my fate for the rest of my life of being addicted to this stuff, you know? Like, I love it, you know? I mean, for me, the the real big thing is when they, you know, get around to actually doing like a great Fantastic Four movie. That's like, that is the project I'm waiting for. That's awesome. That's the one. You've been listening to Speech Bubble. Back after this. This episode of Speech Bubble is sponsored by Harry Tarantula. Go visit them at 6979 Young Street for their games nights. They've got Warhammer, they've got Star Wars miniatures, they've got Dungeons and Dragons, and they have board games nights. Go to harryt.com for the schedule and enjoy some serious gaming. Welcome back, and now more Speech Bubble. So yeah, like Life, Death, and Sorcery... Can I just tell you how my experience of reading it? Yeah, and, sure, and it's sure. super, super fresh in my mind. But like, it's it's really interesting to hear that it's like a love letter to your wife because I was expecting a lot more sorcery at first. And what I got in like the first like three issues was a lot more ghost world, thinky pain type of stuff where it's like this girl is going through some things and like you know she, and and that's basically the entire the entire first part is like there's not really there's like a little bit of a sorcerer-ish prologue but you don't really know how her storyline has to do with that storyline until like the third issue so the first two i was like wow like this is like this is yeah this is like a ghost world comic like the sorcery where's the sorcery part <laughs> i get the life and death part but the sorcery part i'm not i'm not getting so it's really interesting sort of de- how it sort of developed and how you know you're trying to like really take the time and like build build the world in a way that like people wouldn't do because they'd be tempted to like go right for the wizard battle at the end of the at the end of the first issue right oh, i really appreciate you saying that that's the point of it is uh to take its time um i just want to tell a story i don't want to get caught on hooks i want the chapters to be chapters i want the themes and the emotional arcs to be true to the circumstance and to the characters and if that means there's a little bit of sorcery here and a little bit of sorcery there and maybe a lot in this in this part you know it's like a balancing act and plus you know like it's like the slow build. Like I like things that take their time. And I think like really this is a story that you're, that's meant to be sort of consumed like the way you did in like one shot. You know what I mean? Like you just have to absorb the whole thing. You right. Know? Right. So how did it go from like this little indie project that had been brewing in your head for 10 years to something that's, you know, with the, what I call the great Canadian shot that is <laughs> chapter yeah. house. How did that happen? How did it suddenly appear in at like you know Canadian comic shops all over the place? <laughs> what, um, what 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 sparked that? Well, uh, it's you know it's not really you know it's like when I think about it, I mean it's not like the most incredible like thing that you know it's not an incredible success story as far as like comics are concerned. Basically, it was like tabling at um, Fan Expo. I got a little Artist Alley table. I what year? Twenty fifteen. Okay. So I was in I was deep in Artist Alley surrounded by all the, you know, anime posters and stuff. 
And, uh, you know, I had, I'd worked on First Hero before uh, for Action Lab with Anthony Ruckgazer. And uh, I sort of had that in a little pile there. And I had some sketches and stuff. And I had um, a little indie self-published, you know, book called Sorcery. That was like 50 pages, black and white. I printed it myself. As Fatty would always points out, um, Fatty Hakim, the... um, the uh, the president of Chapter House uh, had the worst cover ever. That's what he always says. The very, he was like, I love the interiors, worst cover ever. So it you had did a terrible. Did you do the cover? I did the cover, and it was. I mean, now that I know more about sort of designing covers for comics and stuff like that, I I can I agree with him. It's not the best cover ever. However, you know, it was like just the beginning, and sort of what happened was through George Zadi, my comic just kind of was passed from hand to hand to hand. And so then- George Zadi is the former owner of the silver snail right? correct yeah yeah and so he um he's an old sort of um family friend and um like my brother and him are, are really tight they have been for years and uh so he said well no look let me show this to my friend fatty i think this is you know sort of right up his alley and then yeah he's like he's doing like creative stuff for chapter house right now yeah, right? That's what, right. what's his title there do you remember i think he's a creative director yeah a creative director okay so at this point in 2015, he is the creative director of Chapter uh, Fairly certain, yeah. Okay. So, um, he shows it to Fatty, and uh, Fatty and I have, like, this really, really pleasant conversation sort of at the Soho house uh, over, you know, a few drinks. And we kind of, like, we sort of wax philosophical and do some wisecracks and stuff. And we really get along. We sort of make a date to meet up later. And, um... I didn't know, you know, I, for me, it was like up in the air. I was like, this could be amazing or it could be nothing. Like, I don't know what this is going to be. And sort of, we kind of like got the ball rolling and we decided to like take the, take a shot together and like put this book out. It sort of took a year to kind of plan. And, you know, we changed the title from Sorcery to Life, Death and Sorcery to kind of give it that kind of like, uh, sort of put it, shine a light on the melodrama, you know? Right, because it is m- more melodrama, right? Yeah, exactly. I you think know. you need to indicate somehow in the title that it's not all sorcery, it is mostly melodrama. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so um, so we kind of went there and, um, you know, we split the uh, that sort of first, like my little indie book up into two parts and that became issue one and two. Then it just kind of started. And then all of a sudden, like my life changed and I had to like sort of, snap out of it for a second and like pinch myself and realize that like my dream came true of my comic coming out and like people reading it. It was just sort of like, I couldn't, I can't even tell you how like, like sort of not exciting the process was like, it was exciting. Like it was, I was enthusiastic, but like it was so mellow up until I actually held the magazine in my hand and I was like, Oh, this is real now. Oh my God. And it's in comic shops. It's in comic shops. Granted, it's a, it's a quarterly book. It's not a monthly book as people might be used to. Mm Mm-hmm. It's quarterly, so it comes out like every season. Yeah, which is good because you know they're they're still a small Canadian publisher, and uh, you know it's good to not have that monthly expectation all the time when you have like a lot of books coming out. It's good to just stagger some of them, I guess. Yeah, and um, you know the thing with life, death, and sorcery is that it, it's it's really all about sort of you know the build up you know the larger the sort of volume of the series becomes like the more sort of interesting it will be to consume because there'll be more there there'll be more world there there'll be more magic there'll be more melodrama you know it's like like i said it's a it's a slow burn you know it's uh a- yeah it is a slow burn how do you describe it to people 
who want to know what it's about without giving anything away. Oh, you want to hear the, the, you yeah, hear the table, the, the, the table the, spiel? Yeah, what's the elevator pitch? Oh, okay. All right. Um, Life, Death, and Sorcery is a fantasy adventure about three sisters that run away from home and get zapped to another world and eventually have to learn magic to figure out a way to get back to Earth. Heroes, villains, magic, melodrama, it's got it all. And in the first two issues... Um, the thing that drives it, at least for the main character is, is sort of, it's sort of something that happens like off screen. Like, I don't, I don't remember seeing like the big, the big thing that she's, that she's mulling over, but yeah, like that's melodrama in and of itself. Oh yeah. yeah. And, and I was like, I was like, wait, what did I, did I miss like a big (laughs) scene? And, and I didn't, it was just something that had already happened prior to the start of the comic. Yeah. And I'm like, wow. And then. And then we get more into the whole sorcery thing mm-hmm. and she gets sort of dropped into this world and they have to kind of find their way back home, which is sort of where I'm at now. But the first time I heard about this was, and and what brought you here was because Allison was like, oh, life, death, and sorcery. It's like the most innovative, best art style I've seen. It's like so unique and like you have to check it out. And like he's doing some like stuff that like nobody else is doing in terms of art. And then I looked at it and and it's yeah it's it's like this different sort of sparse more sparse than you're used to art style reminded me again a lot of daniel Klaus and that sort of thing but not quite that you know and like the coloring is a little pastel it's a little like it's a little muted in terms of in terms of the coloring so like she was all like it's the art and it's the way that the story develops the slow burn and the female protagonists and all these like really progressive things that you got going on so i mean how how did you figure out the style of it oh and, like my the God. art style and like what you wanted to do and like all this sort of stuff oh man that is that wow that's a tough one uh well, I mean, you just got to start with, like, artists you love. I love um, Jamie Hernandez, or I guess Jaime Hernandez. I love the way he draws people. And so I just have been studying his work my whole life and just sort of taking little notes from there, from Daniel Klaus. As far as, like, the architecture is concerned, I mean, I did concept art for a really long time, and... um I love I love drawing geometric designs and I love drawing buildings and perspective. I mean, it's like that's I adore it. So for me, it's just like it's just a treat to sort of do these things, these landscapes. And I love um, uh, sort of modern architecture, especially Bauhaus architecture. Because of its sparseness. I, I love sparseness. I love like deserts. I love wastelands. I love anything that is bereft of hope. <laughs> you know? Um having been to a few sort of um kind of open kind of wastelands, you know what I mean? I really in a in a sort of very crazy way, like I feel at home, you know, when I'm just sort of like out there. Well, and you were talking about off air that you have a bit of a you have a Mediterranean background. I do, yes. My uh, my parents are Lebanese, uh, which I guess you know in this day and age I should say I'm Lebanese, but I didn't grow up there, and it's like kind of a cultural thing. But like it's mostly what it is is a nationality. It really doesn't really mean anything to say that. So yeah, so they grew up there, um, and so a lot of. Uh, a lot of the narrative, especially what's coming up, is sort of inspired, uh, due in part to um, sort of the stories that they used to tell me when I was small and sort of having the kind of 
Lebanese influence in the household all the time. What is that? Like, what kind of stories? What kind of culture? Well, I mean, you know, for my parents, it's hard because, uh, you know, in Lebanon, there was a civil war in the 70s and 80s, and they sort of left right on the cusp of that, you know, and they came to Canada, you know, and it's, it's it's the immigrant story, you know what I mean? It was... It was rough. Uh, they came to Canada and uh, they sort of had to see, I mean, they had to see their country kind of implode through the lens of television. And so this is my impression. Like, this isn't necessarily anything my parents told me. So, like, this is how I sort of interpreted their behavior and the things that they say is that there was a kind of nostalgia and a kind of guilt and pain for this place they abandoned, for this... And, you know, that can translate in a lot of ways to like sort of, you know, you take you sort of take ownership of these emotions and you maybe you feel like you're responsible a little bit for them and stuff like that. And so, you know, here's my family. They're kind of over there overseas, caught in the middle of it. And we're living the suburban life in Toronto, you know, like. My dad's got a good job, you know, this is like the mid 80s, everything is fine, you know, and it just all kind of like falls apart after a while. And so just the sort of reflections that I've heard from my parents about growing up in Beirut and sort of what it was and what it's become and the history. I mean, the history goes back so far. It's it's we're not talking hundreds of years. We're talking thousands of years. Right. When I was there, uh, I saw Roman ruins I've never seen anything like it in my life, and I never will again. I mean, they were just like the most majestic things I had ever seen. It makes you feel so small, but it also makes you think like, wow, these guys built this. They built it. They lived in it, and it's still here like after earthquakes and wars and devastation, and it's just like it's like the most amazing thing. You know, you just sort of wander out into the middle of nowhere, and you just see this fantastic I don't know, whatever it is, you know, giant stone pillars and statues and stuff. And so some of that kind of gets, it trickles into the work. And especially definitely does like the the city, the marketplaces, very much of a Middle Eastern feel to them. Yeah, it's kind of a combination of sort of hybridized a lot of different things. I mean, there are definitely a lot of visual cues that I do, especially in the fourth issue when you sort of enter into the other world mm-hmm. kind of I'm, I'm borrowing and this is mainly because I have a lot of opinions and you know when you have a lot of opinions and you're a cartoonist the way you do it is by like manipulating the like mise-en-scene you know you, you give give people certain kinds of costumes you make the environment sort of look a certain way I like to think of the city as kind of like Soviet meets sort of Middle Eastern, you know what I mean? Right, because it's, 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 it's Middle Eastern in architecture, but then, but then in costume, it's very like militaristic. Yeah, and, and, exactly. And, you exactly. Know, sort of like, yeah, like you're saying, Soviet, Nazi, oh, those yeah. sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah. The fascist sort of element is in there too, because, uh, I'm really worried about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like <laughs> stupidly worried about it. Uh, and so. Especially I, with Trump now. I yeah, guess. totally. Yeah. Exactly. And it's just like, it's terrifying to me that, uh, you know, that we have this sort of escalation and all of these sort of craziness. And it's just like so awful. I mean, to me, um, fascism and hate is just the highest form of mental illness and barbarism. You right. know what I mean? It is just like, it is just like not to say anything like negative about the mentally ill or anything like that. I think anybody who is sick needs help, but I think that 
when this sort of stuff becomes unchecked, I think you just have to like, you have to like sort of pull back and you have to like not allow, like you have to, you know, like fucking Trump needs a hug, man. That's what he needs. Right. Right. You know? And it's just like, it stresses me out just thinking about it. Like my ears are getting warm, just like worrying about the fact that like, I don't know, like what's going to happen next? Is there going to be a racial purity test when you go to the States? Like, is this it? And, And I'm a Jew, right? And when you're Jewish, you grow up a little bit hearing from like your grandparents and that those sorts of things like the holocaust survivors that you know that that are in the community about what it was like and like what the precursors to something like the holocaust was and then to see those precursors play out when you're maybe more acutely aware of what this sort of thing looks like because of what your family is telling you and what other jews have told you through through the decades it's like wow like this is happening again and it's all playing out in a way that everyone said it would never happen again. Right. And it is sort of, it's terrifying. You can see the little things like you get this feeling like people are mobilizing, you know what I mean? I see these little hints here and there, like bit of a history junkie. So like, you know, I try and like keep an eye out for like, things of like historical importance you know what i mean it's like america's americans lose their like their um visa their visa right. uh rights in europe oh my god that's weird that's like shutting things down a little bit right you know or, what I or mean? he's or he's discrediting the media is like another yeah. is like another oh that's flag, like a classic <laughs> classic like that's like that's like he's picking it out of the like right. fascist handbook he's like okay what's our next step <laughs> oh discredit the media that's great okay cool and you're just like like I'm just so worried. I'm wet. Like you see this footage of like these um, ice agents carting away people, breaking up families. And you're like, where are they going? Like, what is going on? Like, what is happening here? And so, and like literally like people in the, in the TSA are saying to people, you've been trumped. Like, and it, and it seems like, seems like there's like this, this, there's always been this undercurrent of like, I've always wanted to do this to someone and finally I have license to do it. Yeah, I know, license right? I know. Like, that's yeah. the scariest thing. It's like, yeah, now we, yeah, now we get the chance. I've, oh, I've always dreamed of this. I've always dreamed of like harassing somebody and making them feel like really afraid for their livelihood, yeah. you know? Yeah, and now the government is going to be licensed to do it, so I'm going to. Yeah, let's just it's throw so them in an yeah. for a little while right. and just like watch them rot and decay. Yeah, I don't like, it's, it's so terrifying to me so like for it's like i have to put this in my work i have to show the dimension to it but also the humanity because like i said before like like i think it's it's a sickness and the only way that you can deal with a sickness like this is through empathy and through like not being combative but through like actually listening and actually trying to mediate and figure these things out you know what i mean like it's. I was sort of being flippant before when I said I think Trump needs a hug, but I think like kind of in a crazy way, like, you know, he does. Like, I think that there's like this disconnect happening and it's happening across the world where people feel like they're being left behind and we're not listening like those right. of us who are grounded to reality. You know what I mean? Well, and if, and if you know anything about Trump's background, I mean... His father was very much like, if you're not a winner, you're a loser. Yeah, I know. That's rough, man. Carted him off to 
boarding school at like at like a very young age. That's and crazy. And you're raised with that and you have this unlimited power. I mean, Trump is free in ways that you and I will never understand. Right. He's just like free and he's like just like a wild, like he's a wild jungle cat just running through the savannah. And we're just like, we are literally house cats by comparison. Like we're just hanging out batting a ball around and he can do whatever he wants he can he can kill and jump and pounce and do whatever he likes and like that's the world but i mean you know you like to think that somebody like that has some kind of like restraint or some sort of like just like any kind of like just like common human decency but it's starting to reveal itself that he's like He's like just this aggressive person, you right. know what I mean? Right. And like the guy needs to chill out, meditate, see like just a counselor maybe, you know, work things out. Maybe some of his like henchmen need to as well. Right. And I'm going to like those those themes, like I know it sounds crazy, but I'm actually going to like introduce those into the story eventually. I'm going to go down that route of like... You have the evil monarch. He's doing bad things. Like he's doing horrible things to his people. He's choking the resources. He's punishing people. He's creating second-class citizens. And I'm going to try and figure out a way to get the audience to feel sympathy for this person. Well, and it's to feel already pity for starting him. to happen because he has this a lot of affection for his son. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah, I got that from um, the this book I read about Adolf Eichmann in high school. I think it was him. He was like this really like one of the one of the bad like really super bad Nazis. Like I don't know how else to put that, but he was like on the he was one of the real bad ones. Yeah, like the, high, the, high know, echelon yeah, Nazi. Exactly. Um, they sort of talked about how. And I'm fairly certain it was him. He would uh, go and he would go to work and he would devise all these terrible ways to kill people and to like horribly like maim people and like torture them and do all this stuff. And then he would just like go home and play with his kids and like kiss his wife on the cheek and do all this stuff. And that to me, like, like it was like a light bulb going off in my head. I've never been able to forget that my entire life. I did this project when I was like 16 or 17 and I've never forgotten that crazy image of like some guy going to work and he's like, Hey Floyd, Hey Frank, how's it going? So what are we going to do today? Well, I figure we just take them, we put them in a room and we just suffocate them to death. This seems reasonable, right? Yeah. We'll just get some concrete. And then he goes home and then he's, and he's like, hey, dear, how was your day? Well, you know, they don't like any of my ideas and I just, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm trying to, yeah. I'm try, <laughs> trying to get the Fuhrer to notice me. Ugh. Right. Yeah, right. It's just like, it's, it's, it's crazy. So I'm trying to like introduce a bit of that into the story of like, you have this sort of monster, but then he like really, you know, like he has this like very strange, odd sense of family and like nostalgia, you know, and even to some extent guilt. You know? Yeah, it, it's really deep. I also wanted to ask you about how did you figure out the sorcery element of it and like the way that like the powers oh are delivered God. and those sorts of things, because <laughs> it's really different. It's not like... It's not like wands. It's like <laughs> it's like bolts of energy coming from people's hands and yeah. like little cubes floating around oh, in the yeah. sky and like things yeah. like that. Like so it's not your traditional like Lord of the Rings sorcery situation. Yeah, it's, it's it's more like, you know, you've decided that like there's this power that people can just shoot shoot around their well, hands com- and stuff. 
it comes from you know i sort of talk about it more later on but i mean uh spoiler alert um basically it's the idea that there's this like sort of substance kind of in the universe a sort of metaphysical substance and uh it's like kind of concentrated spiritual energy and it's like highly coveted in in the universe you know we we uh, we meager earthlings have not yet discovered it okay and um you know when you hold it in the palm of your hand what it does is it sort of it amplifies uh traits that are already present it basically heightens your like magical kind of awareness right so, you know, if you're, like, um, an aggressive person, it's going to be fireballs, you know? Uh, if, oh, you're, okay. if you're a compassionate person, you, you it'll be, you know, more maybe, like, healing. So, kind of like the Patron, how, like, the Patronus in Harry bit. Potter is sort of, like, a reflection of who exactly, you are as a person. Exactly, exactly. And I, you know, I like, I like magic because it's sort of has this great kind of allegorical thing. You know, magic is an expression of... Uh, you know the character right? right you know and um yeah. and so like for me when i want to create a sort of r- the rules of magic for my world anyway i th- i want to think of something that amplifies what's already there right you know i'm also a big fan of just like you know uh the subtlety of it being just a thing you know like a like an object you know because i i feel like objects can sometimes you know, they evoke memories, you have sentimental feelings about them, you sort of, I don't know how to explain it. It's like, it's like, um, I don't know, I have this, uh, like, I at home, I have this, like, it's this ridiculous thing. It's my dad, he, when he moved to California, he just left it. It's a, it's a nabob coffee tin. Okay. From maybe it's from the like late seventies, but you know, I, and I just shove rulers and markers and just junk in there. It's just a junk container. But every time I look at it, I, I, have a, a memory of my dad working at his 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 table like when I was small like just like very and I can smell his cologne and I can do all this stuff and to me it's like a relic that's amplifying my senses it's like it's like taking me back just the act of holding it transports me back wow like know? like some sort of like magical totem or yeah something like exactly that. Okay. exactly so like that's really just the kind of thing and I get that feeling a lot I'm a sentimental guy a lot of my friends will attest to this I like to talk about the good old days you know when I was young and good looking wow yeah, you just said it. You just said it. Yeah, you just. I like that. Wow, this guy was good looking. Ooh, could have fooled me. What a horror show! <laughs> wow, no, I didn't want to come off like that. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just yeah, whatever, being silly. Man. It's okay. I'm just being silly. It's fine. So yeah, like that's amazing. Like so, this goes like even deeper than I was thinking, but it's definitely not you know, your your daddy's sword and sorcery situation. Like this is not Conan the Barbarian. Oh, God, no. This is this is or like Lord of the Rings. This is like yeah, this is like sort of a Daniel Klaus meets sort of like Harry Potter sort of situ- yeah, sort of situation. I don't know what I'm going thing. for. You know what I mean? So now that it's being published by Chapter House, it comes out quarterly. What is it like having a regular book for a company? Like, what uh, is it like working for Chapter House um, and being like, 
you know, you're part of like that bigger sense of the Canadian publisher and we're going <laughs> to, we're going to do it. And like, we have all the like patriotic heroes and stuff like that. And you're sort of outside of that. Like you're outside. I'm like, of, yeah. I'm like on another planet. Yeah, you're outside of like their universe and, and that whole thing. So what is it like? What is the environment at chapter house? Like, how do you like working for them? What is it like to go from, like, indie guy to, like, semi-regular comic? Um, Well, it feels great. And, like, they've been very kind. And, like, I'm blessed. Like, I'm blessed every day. And I'm blessed especially with Chapter House because they believe in the material and they sort of just let me play, you know? And um, I really really enjoy it. And uh, obviously, like, Allison has, like, great ideas. And she, whenever she reviews my work, she, like, really gets sort of what I'm trying to say and really, you know, has helped me a lot and sort of focusing the voice and like sort of realizing what a lot of things have been about. Like the resources are great and like just being sort of a part of this sort of family, it's like, it's strange because you're right. Like it's, you know, it's Canuck and, and all these things and like all these characters. Northgard and yeah. yeah. And uh, they're awesome. And those books are really cool. And like my book like takes place in the mid nineties and it's about like a teenage girl and her little sisters who are like, you know, presumably Canadian. Right. I mean, right. Know. They're on. Yeah. Well, I think young street makes an appearance. Uh, yeah. Young in Davisville it, 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 yeah. and Davisville, Mount Pleasant. You can see my dad's old apartment in the background. There's actually like a another street that I drew in there, which is a street I used to, I used to uh, walk along to go. I don't remember the name of the street. I can't remember for the life of me, but uh, when I was growing up, there was a comic shop at the end of the block called crazy Carlos comics and games. Was that your first comic shop? <laughs> uh, no, the silver snow was, but I used to go there cause it was kind of like um, sort of on my way home from school. Right. And so I would drop in there and um, sort of grab fun stuff. And they had, um, they had anime videos, which is like a big deal. Like that was like hard to come by in 1995. So you could, you could rent anime. So I used to rent like, Bubblegum Crisis. And Didn't like Ghost in the Shell come out? It's just in that was like, That was the moment it came out. Right. Okay. Was did like, you watch it? Absolutely, at I did. At that point? Oh, yeah. My friend Chris and I, man, like, we, like, got that VHS day one, and we were like, this is it. We're going to see history. And, like, I don't, you know, I, I love that movie. Like, I don't know if it's nostalgia talking, but, like, we, our minds were blown. Like, we had such a good time. Like, it was great. Like, that was a very exciting time to just sort of, like, be a nerd, especially because of that sort of dimension of it, of, like these crazy cartoons that were from Japan that weren't for kids. And we were like, what? It was great. And, right. And um, 95 was, I think, YTV started doing like the Sailor Moon that's stuff. That's right. Oh, yeah, and man. that was my first exposure oh, to yeah, yeah, yeah. anime. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was, a, it was really cool. So um, I put that street in there and, you know, presumably at the end of that block is Crazy Carlos Comics and Games. And um, what else is there? Uh, is that I, why it's said in 95? Because that's when you grew up and when you were yeah. at your most nerdery in terms yeah, of, in terms of kind holiday of. and stuff? Yeah, I mean, it's also like, yeah, I guess that's it. I mean, 95 to me was, um, you know, it's sort of when I kind of came to realize a few things, it was sort of when I, I guess, sort of tipped over onto the other side and I not came of age. That's the wrong word, but I sort of embraced, I embraced the darkness just like Batman. (laughs) Um, I, uh, you know, I realized, um, you know, I sort of 
these thoughts I had about like death and who I was and where I grew up and like these feelings of being an outsider, like they really just sort of started to simmer to the surface. And it was also a a really, really difficult time in my life in terms of just like getting beaten up like after school you, you were you were a dude who got beaten up oh my god yeah i got beaten up man oh man yeah, like you were like the geeky kid it wasn't like the geekiest kid like i was definitely oh, okay. the geekiest kid was a few orders lower than me on the on the totem pole but i mean i was one of the geeky kids and i definitely like i was a nerd when i was 15 man like there was no helping me i was like pear-shaped superhero shirt comic shop every wednesday and of course every saturday and sunday like that just went without saying you know what i mean massive video game collection like no chance on earth of getting a date with a girl like just nothing so like confused and bewildered and just yeah like and there were like a bunch of kids who were stronger than me and more athletic and uh they let me have it every once in a while you know and, uh, but then that turns into like artistic and cool and mysterious. Yeah, I guess. I mean, you know, years later you channel it into pain. I mean, there was like a lot of embarrassment around it because, you know, as a kid, when you're going through that stuff, you know, like, um, uh, like, I don't know if you were bullied when you were a kid, but like you really internalize a lot of it. And there's that, you know, even like, you know, the desire to be interesting, even when you're that age and like to be cool and to be accepted is just so overpowering, right. you know? And and then you started thinking like, well, maybe I am what they tell me I am. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Of course. Oh, my God. Like it's that was my whole like that was like the source of so much angst and my problems with my identity when I was a kid. I, I couldn't figure things out because everybody was just like, you know, all my peers were just, you know, a lot of them were picking on me. I mean, I had great friends who didn't pick on me, but like I was definitely like I was not a loved kid. And I was I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, I wasn't you know, the shell had sort of grown around me and sometimes I was like really unpleasant and sometimes I wasn't the nicest young man either. And it was tough, man. It was tough. Like 95 to me is like this, is like this banner year of just like, oh God, nothing means anything. It's all worthless. It's terrible. I hate it all, you know? Right, which is how your main character is sort of feeling yeah. at this point. Yeah. Amelia, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, and like through this, through this experience of like, you know, going to this other world and like having this mission that she sort of fell into is she gonna like discover herself and like get out of that well it's more like when you sort of you know confront the inevitability of death and the futility of life what happens is you come to the conclusion that nothing means anything you know and really what this is is it's an exercise in giving meaning to your life you know like that's basically that's basically what it is you know crazy all right, man. Oh, shit. That's awesome. Yeah. So, I, I mean, yeah, like, and you're, do you like being sort of like the the non-Canadian superhero part um, of Yeah, Chatter I guess. I mean, like, like, I should say that, like, Spirit Leaves by Rossi Gifford is also sort of in that, in that area yeah. of, like, not being with the rest of the thing. Like, how do you feel about your position? I like it. It's fine. It's what I want, you know? Um... There is, I mean, I like to think that there are, like, aspects of my story which are quite Canadian in terms of just, like, embracing the landscape and, like, you know, I think a lot of the politics are pretty distinctly Canadian. And, like I said, like, the characters could quite very well be Canadian. 
Right. I think they definitely are. I think the story takes place in Toronto. Yeah, it's you. You put a panel with the street signs in yeah. the comics. So yes, and I it's put Canadian. the. Um, I put an old. Uh, I drew a, a, a picture of. Uh, what was it the Big Bop? It was like this old oh, venue. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think they turned it into a CB two now. Yeah. Um, used to go there and see hardcore shows <laughs> right right cool uh, so you're so you're into it like you you yeah. like you're, you're in like a unique position yeah right? i i sort of i sort of love it and um in the one sense like it is the the sort of outlier it is the outcast it's not great you can't like point to my comic and go like oh this is canada per se but i do feel like i'm like part of the family and i do feel like i'm part of the outer space component and you know i'm like the you know i'm like the <laughs> i'm like the guardians of the galaxy of the like you know chapter house like branch you know i'm right. just kind of like out there Be like wow like this is part of that universe too? Like, i'm just like out in space with the magic and the like crazy characters and the like little cat man and like that's that's just where that part of things are happening you know right and you get to maintain your independence yeah in terms of like they're not you know you know telling you what to do so much in terms of your story i'm i'm just out kind of on my own you know like it's my story man like i just do whatever i sort of feel like doing and i have like 32 issues to do it in you know when you are hooked up with a publisher the way that you are is there do you feel any sort of pressure to like be successful like to sell uh, comics absolutely yeah. yeah yeah every day yeah 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 that's that's that never ends how I, does it feel is it like this gnawing oh, thing in the like back a, of your head or what yeah man it's like how's this doing am i reaching the right people can i reach more people where is my audience who is my audience i need to find because like my audience my audience aren't like say the same people who might read avengers like right. they could cross over but like your average avengers reader isn't necessarily going to pick up my book and go like like oh i'm into you know the uh the crazy cosmic adventures of thor captain america iron man and who uh, you know the other three walk-on marvel right, characters right. in this run oh yeah i think i'll get this comic about a teenage girl trying to figure out life while you know waving um well you know crossing you know space and time well and i, I think too like the difficulty with Chabreros is great. It's Canadian. It's it's um, you know patriotic and whatever. But like you're not Captain Canuck, so like people aren't going to find you immediately, no, right? No. Like, like there's there's a marketing aspect to this that has to be really on point for well, people to yeah. even know that you exist. And and um, and it is you know um, you know the audience has found the book. Okay, I mean the cool. thing is that really uh, I found actually that digital has been really great in sort of um, connecting me to like the readership because I think a lot of the people who might read my comic are maybe a bit mm, I want to say not intimidated but they maybe don't like to necessarily go to comic shops. Cool. You know so when they see something digitally you know that that sort of uh, shop face, um, you know, is sort of more appealing. They can see, oh, you know, it's got all the bullet points. Oh, this looks interesting. It's like pretty cheap. Yeah, sure. I'll add it to my list. Right. You know what I mean? So that to me is sort of where like the battles are being won, you know, as far as like reaching the audience. And of course, doing shows. Like whenever I do a show, 
most of the people are there to see the like banner artists and they're there to get superhero books. But every once in a while, somebody will wander by and they'll be like, oh, wow, this like this is a comic book like this is I want to read this. This is looks pretty cool. Like they're engaged in it. And so that's really where um, I end up by like sort of, uh, you know, really reaching sort of the people that I want. You know, Awesome. That's so good. And and I, it's so fascinating because once you're active with a publisher, there's sort of like this pressure to perform, whether they put it on you or not, right? Like there's always... Oh, this is all put on myself. Right, right, right. <laughs> there, there's this whole thing of like, oh my God, is my book going to get canceled? Is my book going to get canceled? What the hell? So like, how do you, how do you deal with that? How do you alleviate um, it? Well, I alleviate it by just like following my bliss and like just believing in the work and just knowing that the story's going to get done no matter what. Right. The story's going to finish. Who knows where or how it's going to get finished. It's just going to get finished. Like the story's going to get told and that's it, you know? So what can readers expect for the future? I, I know that the first four issues are like the first volume, mm-hmm. right? Which is going to be collected soon. Um, or, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, right. It's coming out in May or June. May or June, I don't right? remember. So, so what can people expect from the future? Well, in the future, you can expect definitely a lot more sorcery. Okay. Um, uh, sort of more kind of adventure, maybe in the traditional sense, kind of like hearkening to fun things. Like, um, I'm a big fan of like the, um, original Super Nintendo, like JRPGs. So they're like traversing great distances and like learning magic and also just sort of like confronting these sort of horrible truths about themselves. Like, you know, all, all the characters, like even, even the kids, kids have to grow up, you know what I mean? And so like, there are, there's a lot of like, a lot of coming of age in in the next in the next volume, and you, a lot of you know, like I said, adventure. You know what I'm totally wondering is like how much time is passing while they're in this world, and like what are the parents doing? Ah, that's well, what that's what I'm wondering. You know, my friend, uh, <laughs> you know, that the answer to that question doesn't come for a very long time. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I will say this though. It does get answered. Okay, cool. It good. does get answered. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I can't believe <laughs> me, man. I've thought about all of it. I when I wrote the outline to this, I was swinging around in a hammock in Turkey, and I sat down on my uh, iPhone, like my uh, the dingiest, you know, the first generation iPhone, and I just pounded the full outline A to Z per chapter in the little like Notepad app, and just like banged it out. So that particular little plot point that you indicated has been like in the in every single draft of this story nice so it's in the bible oh yeah that's right so so how long is the story well the story um what i'm what i'm signed on to do is 32 issues okay so um in this um in this sort of series that translates to about eight volumes okay so uh you know it's got a beginning middle and end and um you know it goes places that's awesome and it's awesome that you get the opportunity to like do it i like i said i'm blessed man i every night i tell myself you know i remind myself what i'm thankful for you know i'm thankful for you know when i when i sort of decided that I wanted to have a great life, I started having a great life, you know, like everything is great. And I'm just even grateful just to have this shot. Like maybe the comic gets canceled and maybe I lose my will to draw, but even then I'm just grateful. Like, I'm just so thrilled that I got 
a shot at doing this and, and doing this stuff that I love, you know, like it's, it, I can't not be like, I'd be a fool not to be grateful. And I'm happy for you, man. Where can people find you on social media if they want to keep up with your progress? Uh, well, the best place to track me down is Instagram. I'm posting every day. So that's at Danny Zab, D-A-N-N-Y-Z-A-B. And you can find me on Twitter, maybe not so prolific on Twitter, but you know, if you want to hear like a wisecrack every day, you know, I might just like fart one out. And that's uh, at D-A-N-N-Y-Z-A-B-B-A-L. And you can just track me down on Facebook, Danny Zabal, or you can um, find my website if you're interested in commissions, getting in touch, dropping me a line, you know, tell me how great I am. I always love being heaped with, com- with compliments. I love compliments, Got No, I'm kidding. Compliments make me so nervous and so jittery. Like, I just never know what to do about compliments. Even when my wife gives me a compliment, she's like, oh, you look handsome today. I'm like, yeah? What, why are you saying that? Is there something wrong? What's going on? Is this a, is this a beautiful lie to cover up a horrible truth? You're like the comic book Woody Allen. <laughs> oh, God, you're not the first person to say that. Oh, no. Um, it's awesome. What can I say? Yeah, yeah. It's awesome. It's true. So, yeah. I mean, thanks, man. Like, people, if people want to find your book, it's available at Comixology. Mm-hmm. It's available through Chapter House Publishing on their website. You can also find it at comic shops, right? Mm-hmm. And it comes out quarterly. Uh, that's right. End of the quarter, beginning of the quarter? Uh, do we, usually do we know? around, uh, I'm fairly certain around the uh, middle of the quarter, actually. Okay. Uh, yeah, um, you can find it's all over the place, man. Yeah, go look it up, um, you know, and like I said, drop me a line, you know, wow. if, you, uh, if you like it. Danny, I, I I love this. I feel like it was an intense conversation, and I got to I got to go down roads with you that I never thought I'd go down. Uh. <laughs> yeah, but, but it was great because that's what we do here in, uh. at the Never Sleeps Network Studios. And uh, you know, thank you, thank you so much for doing this. Oh, thanks for having me, Aaron. It's yeah, been man. like really fun. And uh, yeah, man, I love I love keeping it real. And guys, I never do this very often, but I should give a shout out to. Uh, before we go, I should give a shout out to our audio engineer, uh, Joseph uh, Yanni. And uh, I should also give a shout out to the wonderful people that do our introductions. Uh, Craig Mayhem, you may have heard. He does sort of like the lighter superhero inter- introduction. And Sean Ward, he does our darker sort of more villainous anti-hero introduction. So I just want to give credit to them because I, I don't do it very often. And uh, we'll see you next time on... Speech Bubble. This has been Speech Bubble. See you in the future, friends. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. This episode of Speech Bubble is sponsored by Harry Tarantula at 6979 Young Street. They sell comics and games to bright and imaginative people like you. So go there for your comics fix and go there for their games nights that happen all week. Check harryt.com for the schedule and tell them Aaron sent you.